Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to Inside the Writer's Studio, the podcast where we talk with writers about their lives, their craft, their business, and their latest work. I'm your host, Charlie Lovett, and our podcast is sponsored by Bookmarks. Bookmarks is a literary nonprofit whose programs include the largest annual book festival in the Carolinas. Come visit Bookmarks at our community gathering space and nonprofit independent bookstore in downtown Winston-Salem, North Carolina, where you can enjoy curbside pickup and take advantage of limited walk-in hours. Inside the Writer Studio is also proud to be an affiliate of Libro FM, the audiobook platform that supports your local independent bookstore. Stay tuned at the end of the podcast for more information on Libro FM and a special offer. I have a special guest today. Mike Lenz is an audiobook reader who recently recorded the audiobook of my novel, Escaping Dreamland. Mike, welcome to Inside the Writer Studio. Thank you for having me, Charlie. So before we talk too much about the nuts and bolts of recording audiobooks, tell us a little bit about your background. I mean, you started out in politics and you ended up in audiobooks. How, how did that path play out? <laughs> I've had a, a little bit of an eclectic background, for sure. Um, I was actually a pharmacist for almost 30 years. So I, I um, <clears throat> our family uh, owned a, an independent pharmacy in Saratoga Springs, which is where I live. And we, um, when I graduated from college, I went and worked in the family business, but um, I had other interests. And, and one of those interests was politics. And I got involved in local politics and served for uh, about 10 years. I was both finance commissioner, as well as uh, served as mayor of Saratoga Springs, which was a really a fun experience, an interesting experience. Um, but then uh, a funny thing happened about 15 years ago, I lost a re-election bid. So uh, it was somewhat of, a, of an upset. And uh, you know, of course I was a little disappointed, but I can tell you that my overwhelming feeling was one of relief because mm -hmm. you know when you realize, when you're in the middle of it, you don't necessarily realize, but I was running a city, running a business. Uh, we own the building where our business is located. Uh, my wife and I were having our four children, building our second home. A little bit of a little bit of stress, and yeah. and once uh, that, I took the politics piece, or that was taken away from me, um, all of a sudden I could explore some other areas. You know, I actually had some time on my hands, and I'd always been a creative person, but hadn't really explored that piece of my personality. So, mm -hmm. I took advantage of this time and said, "Look, you know, I was in my early 40s." I said, I'm going to start to explore things like screenwriting, which I had an interest in. And I had a little bit of uh, an amateur success there. I was actually one of um, one of only eight amateur screenwriters in New York State to be selected to participate in a 10-week program sponsored by the New York State Writers Institute. And that was a phenomenal, wonderful, um, creative outlet for me. And I absolutely loved it and uh, and just dove in. And then when I went to a, uh, a local filmmakers group, which I had joined, somebody was passing out flyers for voice training. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, one of the things that I really missed about being mayor was using my voice to communicate. I really enjoyed that piece of it. But I had really burned out that fire in my belly of politics, so I didn't want to run again. So I thought to myself, hmm, maybe I could get trained. I could use my voice to communicate, which I'd wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't have to run for public office again, and I might get paid for it. So I thought, all right, I'll go ahead and, and take uh, uh, one session. And as soon as I got in front of the microphone for my first session, I was absolutely hooked. And I knew that I wanted to do this for the rest of my life if I could. And then that evolved over the next 15 years from a, from a, a, uh, a hobby to a legitimate side hustle to a part-time 
a real part-time job to the point where about five years ago, I started my own podcast, similar to yours about the VO industry though. And I remember realizing that maybe I could do this on a full-time basis. And I really redoubled my efforts into voiceover and my, uh, my workload grew to the point where three years ago, I made the decision to sell the pharmacy, uh, which I did about almost three years ago now. And we have a, a lovely pharmacist who, who runs it. She carries on the tradition. They pay rent every month. And, and I went into this full time and I, I've absolutely loved every single minute of it. So this is now in my 50s. I've changed my career yeah. path into this video world and I, I really do enjoy it. I think that's great. You know, there, there's been this surge in popularity in audiobooks over the last few years as we've been able to, you know, instead of carrying around the big box of cassette tapes, remember we called them books on tape back in the day, we just carry a phone in our pocket. Uh, and I think it's it's interesting. It's made readers aware. I know readers who follow a particular or listeners who follow a particular audiobook narrator, like they'll listen to whatever books that that person happens to happen to be narrating. Um, but we also hear these voices in other places. You you do a lot of voiceover work that's not audiobooks. Where where else might we hear your voice besides in the pages of Escaping Dreamland? <laughs> well, I, I have been fortunate to do some other work. Most of the work that I do is very specific. It'll be corporate video work, e-learning work. Um, I have done um, some commercial work. I've actually done some on-camera work as well. So nothing that, you know, I'm not the voice of Home Depot. You're not going to hear me on a Mercedes-Benz commercial necessarily at this point. But um, what's fascinating about the voiceover industry is that there are so many areas of our lives where where we are impacted by voiceovers that we don't necessarily think about. Yeah. And, and for, for those of us on my side of the microphone, it provides us a lot of variety in terms of some of the work that we can do. But I will tell you that my first love without question is audiobooks. It, it really is an opportunity to, to dive into a story. I enjoy reading, so, so naturally I enjoy narrating. Um, and it's just been a, a wonderful addition to the work that I do. And it, and it is the primary work that I do now and everything else is secondary to the audiobooks. So I, as a child, I was first introduced to what we now would call audiobooks by these LP records of Cyril Richard reading Alice in Wonderland. It's what led me to become a Lewis Carroll collector. Um, and I wondered if you had similar experiences in your past. I mean, you came to, to narrating audiobooks, you know, not as a first career, but did you, did you listen to, to books on records or on tape when you were a child? Or do you have, do you have memories of particular narrators that you uh, influenced you? Well, what's interesting is that I was always a reader, not a listener. So um, I, I certainly had books in my youth that, that I remember reading, not listening to. But I do remember that I would more often than not read the books out loud to myself, whether they were comic uh, books, picture yeah. books. I would find myself wanting to act out those roles to the point where I remember occasionally my mother would call from the other room and I might be in a, in a fight scene or I might be coughing because I would, there was smoke in the room and she'd be, she'd re, you know, call out to me concerned, like, are you okay? And I'm like, Oh no, no, it's okay. I'm just reading. I'm reading the scene from this book that I'm, that I'm, <laughs> that I'm reading. And uh, so I know from a, from a very early age, I had this desire to, to use my voice, to bring these stories to life. Uh, yeah. There was just something yeah. about listening to myself, reading them, which I thought just, um, opened up the story for me. I'm, I learn more from hearing. I'm, I'm an audible learner versus yeah. a visual. Yeah. So for me, when I 
get a book. Um, now as an adult, I don't sit there and read every book out loud, but when I was younger, I would do that because uh, I enjoyed it. And I think also would help me to retain it. Yeah. Yeah. Now Blackstone publishers, my publishers who published Escaping Dreamland, they started out as uh, only producing audiobooks, And they started in uh, Ashland, Oregon, because they thought the Oregon Shakespeare Festival would be a good source of actors and actors would be good at reading audiobooks. And some, some audiobook readers are actors, some are not. Do you think, I mean, your training was sort of specifically in voiceover. Do you think a broader actor's training is, is beneficial for uh, an audiobook reader or does it kind of get in the way a little bit? Um, I think that there, there's a couple of schools of thought in that area. I think depending on the genre that you're narrating, um, I think that acting without question, having an acting background would be beneficial. And um, most people that come to me now and ask, how do I get started in audiobooks? One of the first things that I'll tell them is to get coaching, whether it's taking acting classes and or working with a specific coach specific to your genre. So, you know, for example, I do a lot of nonfiction audiobook narrating, and I've worked with a coach for five years now who I've been training with in the nonfiction world. And, um, and it's important, even myself, who I've got over 100 titles now um, under my belt, but I'm still coaching because yeah. I'm still learning. And uh, especially when it comes to fiction narrating, there are certainly audiobook narrators that do more of that work. I think that having an acting background and those narrators who are also actors, it just brings a whole nother layer to your ability to create those characters and bring that story to life. So absolutely having some acting background, if you don't already come from that background, I encourage everybody who wants to do this for a living to get that training. Yeah. Uh, no matter when you start, it doesn't matter whether you've act, haven't acted before, make sure you get some training because it will absolutely help your performance. There's no question about it. And it's, that sort of leads me into my next question, which is, I feel like the, the reading of an audio book is, is walking kind of a fine line. Um, as listeners, we want to enjoy the reading, but we don't want too much interpretation of the reading to get between us and the, and the writer. I mean, the, the, the reader is, is sort of an, an intermediary. What right. do you see is that the difference between narration and performance? Yeah, I know, I, you know, I was actually thinking about this question and you didn't tell me you were going to ask me this beforehand, but it was something that I thought about as I was thinking about our interview. And there was a, there was a quote that I read from Rebecca Lohman, who's a fellow um, audiobook narrator. And, and she had, she had written in this, in this interview, she had said, every book is written from a certain place. And if you get that place wrong, you're going to get the book wrong. She also said that it's my job to capture the author's intent and the voice is the most, maybe the only important thing. And as I read the prose, I listen for what's not being said and the richness of what is being said. And I thought that was really beautifully put. And I do believe that when it comes to creating characters, and Eduardo Ballerini is another audiobook narrator, very accomplished, wonderful actor as well. And he had said that when he creates or thinks about the characters, he doesn't necessarily spend a lot of time on them, which I thought I thought to myself, wow, I mean, I think a lot of people do spend a lot of time worrying about creating those characters. And his thinking was that he actually thinks about people that he knows in his life. And then he'll think about those people as he's narrating that particular character versus trying to create a character from nothing. Yeah. And I think that that was that another really good piece of advice that I was given. And I think that when we do that, 
what ends up happening is the personality will will end up bubbling up into the performance, but it won't necessarily dominate a performance or be put on to the extent that it might be if you were creating a character out of nothing. And I yeah. think when I do a book like your book, which had wonderful characters in it, I really wanted to make sure that I didn't take away from the story by inflecting too much into the voice of the character that's speaking. So you'll notice that the difference between Tom and Jean and Magda um, is not a significant difference, but there are subtle differences yeah. that you can yet you'll pick up. And that allows their personality to come through in the words and not be dominated by a performance of a character that an, a listener might not particularly like, and then may bother them as they listen through the book. And I've heard that in other reviews from other actors who, um, where listeners have said, I really love the book, but I couldn't get over the way he or she did that person's character voice. And yeah. that got in the way yeah. for me. I yeah, tried not actually, to get in the way. I've had that with one of my previous audio books. One of the, one of the comments I hear most often from listeners is, um, you know, that there was one character that they didn't, they didn't particularly like the voice was, was done. And I think, I mean, to me, there's a, there's a big difference between say reading, um, a middle grade book, reading a Harry Potter book or something where you really maybe oh, are yeah. doing a little bit more performance because it's a child listener versus mm -hmm. reading an adult novel. Um, so let's, let's walk through the nuts and bolts process of creating an audiobook. Cause I know so many people who listen to audiobooks and are fascinated by like, how, how do we go from something lands on your desk? I don't know. Is it an arc? Is it a stack of pages? Is it an electronic file? And then at some point later, I can turn my phone on and listen to a book. So, so walk us through what happens between those two events. It's magic, Charlie. It's just magic. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Now, the, uh, the, you know, the reality is it is a process. It's a, it's a fairly complex process, but yeah. the, the, the publisher and I will come to an agreement that they want me to work on, work on the book and we sign a contract and we have dates set. So I have a schedule of work out into, into February. So I know, from week to week, what books I have to do and when they're due. So that's kind of first and foremost, just like you as a writer have deadlines. I, as a narrator, have deadlines that I have to meet for the books that I'm recording. Um, so I will make sure that number one, I'm on schedule every single day. But once I get signed to do the book, they'll send you a prep copy, which means it's not the book that you'll actually record, but it gives you a week or two to actually prep the, the content. For nonfiction books, I don't have to prep them too extensively because it's essentially me being me. I'll go through them and I'll check for words that I may need to look up to find out how to pronounce, but uh, I don't spend a lot of time prepping. Now, a book like your book, uh, Escaping Dreamland, I read the entire book through out loud to myself because, again, as a fiction title, it was important for me to understand the characters, understand the arc of the story, yeah. where it was going, um, and and make sure I was in tune with the characters to the extent that I felt comfortable. So I would read, I will read a fiction book all the way through because I think it's really important to understand that arc. Um, and then once the recording begins, it's literally, I'm down in my studio where I have my recording software set up and I will record and I keep track on a spreadsheet, how many pages I've done, which files are completed. When that's done, I will save that entire zip file and then I upload it to the publisher. The publisher then puts it through a proofing and editing process where they have 
on staff proofers who go through and proof the book and they will send me back pickups which are places where i've made a mistake so um a book can be anywhere from five pickups to 150 pickups just depends on the nature of the book um, so those will come back to me at a certain point prior to the publication date i'll have a certain number of days to get those pickups recorded and back to them in a single file they have editors who will insert all those pickups in the appropriate places and then they create the mastered files and off they go to uh, to Audible and iTunes into the world. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I, you know, I had noticed that every time, if I listen really carefully, and I think I notice this more with my own book because since I'm not necessarily caught up in the story, I, I can pay more attention to the nuts and bolts of the narrating. And I knew I was going to be talking to you, but I did occasionally hear these places where I thought, I wonder if he taped that later on. That there sounds like a, the slightest little difference or the slightest little pause or hesitation, which I don't think you would notice if you weren't the writer of the book, really. Um, but I'm fascinated right. by that, you know, notion of going back in and, and recording, um, recording those pickups. So one of the things I think of a lot as, a, as an author is the signals that I'm giving to my reader, whether that reader is going to read the audio book or is just going to sit down and read the book the signals I give about how to read. And the biggest of those is punctuation. Um, we know that a, our voice typically goes up at the end where there's a question mark or something like that. Uh, and as I understand it, it was more or less invented by Greek dramatists as a way to tell actors how long to pause. And so I'm always very careful when I choose among a comma or a semicolon or a full stop. Can you Can you talk about how you use punctuation as sort of a message from the author about how you should parse a certain sentence. Yeah, and I think every author is different. As you said, there are certain authors that give more credence to a comma here or a colon or a punctuation marks than others. So uh, every time I read a script, it's it's a completely unique experience in terms of interpreting that script the way I feel the author wants and interpreted. So yeah, punctuation marks are always helpful. Um, you know, students that I've worked with who have worked with me through coaching, uh, will talk about things like ellipses and I'll talk to them about oftentimes they'll, when they see an ellipses, you worry about what's going on on the, on the back end or the front end of the ellipses, what's yeah. coming after the ellipses and how do I, how do I, um, how do we emote that? But what you also have to remember is that there's a lot of stuff going on on the front end of the ellipses or the back end, depending on how you're looking at it. So you have to make sure that you understand what is that ellipses meaning? What is it telling me? And how am I going to change the way I'm saying the phrase based on that ellipses being in there? Yeah. And there are subtle things like that, that again, as you read as the narrator, what's fascinating to me is every writer is different. And you start to learn the, the, the cadence and the tempo and the style of the writer. And sometimes it's enjoyable and sometimes it's not right. Yeah. Sometimes I'll narrate and I'm like, I'm not really thrilled with the way this is being written, but that's not my job. My job is to interpret it the way the writer wants it interpreted. So, but in your case, I thoroughly enjoyed the way that you wrote the book. And I mean that sincerely, uh, it was wonderfully written. And, and it was just, um, one of, one of my, um, my all-time favorite books in terms of the, the hundred plus that I've narrated so far. So really, uh, enjoyed it thoroughly. Well, I, I, it's interesting to me what you say about the ellipsis, because I'm always, you know, I spent many years as a playwright and and I, I also acted in Shakespeare. And so I'm very aware of how do you tell 
somebody, when you just have text on a page, the difference between in, a, in dialogue, one person is responding to another person or one person is interrupting another person. And, and uh, Shakespeare did this really cool thing where he would uh, have, have half a line of iambic pentameter on one side of the page and another half on the other side of the page. And that meant it was an interruption. Whereas if it was a half a line of iambic pentameter and then it picked up with a full line, then it, it was not an interruption. You know, it's like, that's, that's pretty smart. Uh, but that's what, one of the things I use the ellipsis for is the, is the reason I mentioned it, but I'm always, it's yep. always in my head, like, how can I, how can I be sure they understand this is, um, this is a, a, an interruption. So when you're writing, when you're writing your books, do you have, how often are you writing for a listener as opposed to a reader? Does that come into play? Well, I do read passages out loud to myself, as, as, as you said, because I, I'm really aware of the rhythm of, and sometimes if just, if a sentence just doesn't sound right, um, you know, then I'll go in and, and, and make some changes. And, uh, so I find, and, and the last two books I've written, I've read out loud to my wife, which has been really helpful because first of all, she's a good critic and, and, and she'll also hear little things missing from a sentence when there's, I, I find that if there's a word missing or if I've doubled up a word or something, I'm more likely to see that if I'm reading aloud than if I'm just looking at on the page. But when I'm actually composing, I don't know that I'm really thinking about it, you know, one way or another. Mm. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I was always curious about that with authors about whether they, yeah. whether they thought about the, the, the listener as opposed to the reader. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I think we're coming to the point now where a significant number of our readers are, are encountering our work through, um, through an audiobook rather than through a, a traditional text. And often people will read both read and listen. I yeah. find myself doing that as well. Yeah. I'll yeah. read a really good book and then I want to go listen to it and vice yeah. versa. And the, and the, one of the things I found interesting about listening to my own books, and this was certainly true of listening to your narration of Escaping Dreamland, is that it reminds me of being a playwright in that when you're a playwright, you, you write a text, but a lot of interpretation comes after that, you know, with actors and things. And every now and then a reader, yourself included, will, in, will, will read a sentence or, or, or a phrase in a way that surprises me. And it's almost always a pleasant surprise. I'm always thinking that's not the way I thought of it, but that's really cool. I, I, that that works too, you know. And I, and I think it sort of reminds us that every reader, whether that person is recording an audio book or not, has a different experience with our text. Um, yeah, well, definitely. Especially the emotional pieces, the emotional yeah. um, sections, I think, tend to be open to some level of interpretation for sure. So we've talked a lot about you know the things you do. You're recording. You're making sounds. But you also make great use of the lack of sounds, of silence, of pauses. Um, I notice, and I love that you, you do this because I do it in my head. Uh, there was a lot of times when you would put in a pause like right before the last sentence of a chapter so that that last sentence can have a real punch. And, and I try to give punch to those final sentences. Can you, can you talk a little bit about, about using pauses and silence? Yeah, I can. And, and you know, what's nice about, and I appreciate that comment, and I think that a lot of times when we listen to narration, you know, our job as narrators is to uh, is to be entertaining and engaging so that we can enlighten and educate the audience, depending on what what topic it is we're speaking about. And one of my audiobook coaches taught me early on that what keeps people engaged is a variation in your pacing, because when you and I are having a conversation now, our pacing changes, right? There are some times when we're going to speak more quickly. Other times we're going to pull back and speak more slowly, more emphasis 
depending on the, the, the way the conversation goes. And when somebody's listening to a book, we also want to make sure that we do that, that we don't get we don't get caught up in the trap of reading words on a piece of paper as opposed to telling a story. And the way we do that is by changing our pacing. So, yeah, a lot of times, especially when it gets near the end, typically, you know, you want you you have a a fairly poignant point to make at the end of of a section or a chapter, and that will lend itself to taking that little bit of a pause and slowing that down a bit to make the point and let people understand the finality of this point and the finality of this actual chapter. So yeah, that does come into play when I'm narrating for sure. So I want to talk for a few minutes specifically about the process of, of recording Escaping Dreamland because this is fun for me to talk to somebody who, it's always fun to talk to somebody who's read your book, even more fun when they've read it, you know, obviously with such care and, and multiple times. But were there particular challenges with this book that, that you encountered or or things that sort of set it apart from other books that you've done in the past where you said, hmm, I'm going to have to do something differently or or is it, you know, sort of, it's one more novel so you can do it the same way you've done other books? Well, every book is unique. There's no question yeah. about that. The, yeah. the um, German is not by any means my strong suit. So mm-hmm. the fact that there was some German in it um, and that was actually part of the pickups because I didn't read it in a German accent and they had asked that I do go back and read those with a German accent. So I had a, I had a uh, bone up on my German accent as best I could. And again, I think listeners as a rule, and I've listened to books where, where actors have had to put on particular accents in different parts of the book. And we do have a certain level of, um, of, of leeway, I guess, that uh, when we listen to, to narrators. So those of your listeners that listen, please don't judge me on my, on my German <laughs> accent. <laughs> that was a bit of a challenge. And fortunately, there weren't that many lines with that, but um, I did the best I could in that circumstance. So those are always challenging when you're faced with that type of a, a accent that you're not, it doesn't come easily to you. Um, and, you know, the, the, um, the emotional aspects of it are always, I think, challenging because you really are, in that instance, uh, really having to show some acting chops to really bring that emotion to to the fore, and and also honoring you, the the author, the writer, in the way that I'm portraying that, and making sure that I'm capturing the emotion the way that you'd want that captured. That's always um, a challenge to make sure that you're focused for that particular. It's almost like an actor who comes in and knows they're going to be blocking out a scene. Uh, that is going to be an emotional scene, they prepare themselves before they go on set to kind of make sure that they're they're focused and in, yeah. in, in yeah. tune with what needs to be done. If I know that this this particular part of my narration this day is going to involve that, I've got to make sure that I that I'm locked in and do it enough times until I'm comfortable that I've that I've gotten that emotion across. Um, and that so that there were some challenges there as well. And then um you know, the voices just in general came to me relatively methodically as I worked through it. Um, the um, the Mr. Pickering was was an interesting one. Yeah. He was an interesting one because you did give a description of him in the book. Yeah. And yeah. so I tried to be true to the to the description. Um I don't know what you thought about that, but, yeah, it, but that, that was, I can't, I, that was one of my more remember, fun parts. I'm trying to remember that description. I think it says something like he still had a trace of an English accent or something like that, which is a which little bit and, leaves and a, you a little, some leeway. You know, 
And the, you did describe him, I think, in terms of just his physical makeup. That yeah. He was a, a more slightly built man and he he had a higher pitched voice and he almost had a, a, a little bit of a feminine, in my mind, a feminine quality mm-hmm. to him. Mm-hmm. And that that I sort of tried to bring to it. And his, so his voice, I thought, was the most interesting for me to do. It was definitely the most out, outside of the, the box um, voice that I did. Yeah. Yeah. But I found that doing those those scenes were the most fun for me. Yeah, when yeah. when Mr. Pickering was involved, especially the dialogue between him and Tom uh, when they initially meet, I thought that was kind of fun. What also struck me is there's this there's this couple of scenes, but one one main scene in this book where where Robert Parrish, the the 21st century hero of the, of the book, uh, is doing what you do is reading a story aloud. Uh, he's doing it to a group of kids at, at, at a library, but he kind of describes that experience. Did you? Did his description of that experience sort of resonate with you as you were as you were reading that scene? Yeah, a little bit. It was kind of a little surreal moment, right? Yeah. As you're you're reading a book out loud about a person reading a book out loud to people <laughs> and describing what it was like to read that book out loud. Yeah, it was it was definitely a kind of a a full circle moment, uh, a meta moment, if you will, and it it, it, w- it was enjoyable for sure. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other thing that, you know, I find when I'm reading aloud, even if I'm reading my own work aloud, you know, it's, it's typically not right after I've written it. So it's sort of going, going back to something I may have written a few weeks ago or a few months ago. Um, and I will often be surprised when I am reading some dialogue and I read a line in a certain way. And then after the closed quotes, it says, you know, she said almost in tears or he shouted or I thought, well, I did that wrong. Uh, do you, do you right. have those moments where you, where you get to the end and go, Nope, got to go back yep. and, and redo that dialogue. Uh, yep. Oh yeah, definitely. And, and again, we as voice actors are trained and it is a, it is a skill set that uh, I continue to refine um, to read ahead. So the words that are coming out of my mouth are not the words that I'm actually reading in my mind visually so i'm ahead about half a line as a rule having read the book first and prepped it fully obviously helps because you'll have that recollection that that recall but there are times when certainly you'll read a line and you're like oh yeah that was not supposed to be read that way because he just told me how he how this person (laughs) said it let me go back and redo that line yeah when when you when you're prepping a book do you will you make notations or, you know, accent marks or things like that? I want to emphasize this word or. Yeah, it depends on the book, of course, but there, yeah, depending on the book, I'll make notes um, either on the actual document itself or separate, you know, in a separate book that I have. Um, And, and a lot of times what I'll do, and I, I didn't have to do this with your book, but there have been books where I have had to do it. Um, where I've had multiple characters where you want, who don't always appear on a regular basis mm-hmm. that um, and they'll show up in chapter one and they don't show up again until chapter six. Right. And now in chapter six, you're thinking, how did I do that voice? Yeah, I need yeah. to go back and check. What I'll do is I'll actually have a file within my recording software that is exclusively a sample. So the first time I record a oh, character, yeah. I'll save that sample and keep it in its own file so I can very and, and label it so I can very easily go back and and play that so I'll know exactly how Magda sounded or exactly how Tom sounded. So there are times where I'll, when I'll do that in terms of when I'm prepping a book, um, especially as I start recording it. The first time the character shows up, I'll make sure I save that recording so I don't have to go back and 
dig through old chapters to try to find it. I've got it right there in front of me. That's been helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I, one of the things I try to be aware of as a, as a writer is just the rhythm of my prose, even though I am, I am not a poet far from it. Um, having, having done Shakespeare, having studied some poetry at, at some point in my life, I, it, I think has helped me be aware that all language has a rhythm to it. Um, I, I, do you find rhythm with that, that is sort of consistent through a book, through an author's style, consistent through characters? How, how, how does that sort of notion of rhythm work, work with you? Well, rhythm is critical, I mm -hmm. think, to the success of any book. But as a reader and as a narrator, when I read a book and I can sense that there there is that underlying rhythm and tone to the book that that carries you along a really good book will do that will carry you through the story so as typically if it's well written if it's written that way as you said as a writer as you think of it kind of in a poetic sense is it carrying through poetically is there this arc is there's this flow if that's done well by the writer then we narrators then have this beautiful piece of work that's laid in front of us and it makes our jobs so much easier but if it's if it's choppy writing if it's if it's fragmented if it's not flowing if it's not making sense you know to the to the reader then it's going to be hard it's going to be hard for the narrator to to make that story cohesive through our words because the only tools that we have at our disposal are the words that you've written yeah, yeah. So if those words aren't good, or if that pacing and flow isn't good, it's going to be hard to make something good that wasn't well written. But the converse is true. If it's incredibly well written, it makes our job not only easier, but so much more enjoyable. And you can tell almost instantly, by the end of the first chapter, I can tell whether a book has that flow that mm, I feel yeah. that I'm tapped into that I'm like, ooh, this is going to be fun. Yeah. I'm really going to enjoy this book. You know, when, when that's not happening, are there, are there ever moments when you see a sentence or something and you just go, this, this has got to be a typo. This has got to be wrong. Can, can we go back to the author and be sure I'm reading the right thing? Or, or is it just, it's gospel when it gets to you and you have to read whatever you have on the page? Yeah, it's, it's my, it's gospel to me, unless yeah. it's something that's clearly blatant. I have not experienced that in my career yeah. yet, yeah. but usually there will be, I have experienced typos where sure. some you know somebody meant it should be of instead of or and I'll know that and almost intuitively will just say it the correct way mm -hmm. and it doesn't come back in in pickups because yeah. they know they see it they know it's a it's a it's a typo as well but that that's fairly infrequent yeah. but that's really the extent that I've seen I haven't really encountered anything where it was so wrong that I was like okay wait a minute this this is this, so I need to go tell somebody this because honestly, um, it's, it, that's not my job and sure. nor, yeah. nor yeah. should I make it my job, right? right? Because there are editors and proofers whose job it is to make those decisions. Yeah. My job is to deliver the final copy, uh, right. to the best of my ability. So that's what I do. I, you know, we, we have, we talked a little bit earlier about how certain readers, um, have fans and there's also certain readers who've become associated with certain authors. Now I'm doing another book for Blackstone. We just announced, and my question is: If you, if let's just say you end up doing the audio version of that book, do you think that would be a will be a different experience for you having, you know, had this conversation, having sort of met the author, and it's no longer this sort of just words on a page, but but you know a little bit what the sound of my voice is and, and the way that I talk is. Is that going to affect the your experience of of narrating a book? 
Uh, no question about it. I think in a perfect world, if I could have a conversation like this with every author that I narrate, it would it would help me immensely. But yeah. that's again not yeah. our job to bother the author. Um, <laughs> we don't we, we we record. But yeah, absolutely. The, there's no question because, again, you know, you the more you understand part of the prep process that I go through is I will go look up the author. I looked you mm -hmm. up. Yeah. I read about you. I got to know as much about you as I could without speaking with you. And there was a font of information available to me on your website and in the internet. So I was able to go find you. I could go listen to videos that I have of you because again, I'm not there to be you, right. um, but, but understanding the author, understanding their, their tone of voice mm -hmm. will often help you interpreting the copy the way that the author would want it interpreted. And it, it's hard for me to, to put that in words, but it's real because any, any actor will tell you the more information they have at their disposal, the better the yeah. performance will yeah. be. And I can't think of, of, of a more helpful uh, piece of information than to be able to spend some time with the author mm -hmm. and really understand them as as a writer and as a person. I think that helps them measurably. Yeah. Um, so if I do have the opportunity to do the next book, I think it will be even better than Escaping Dreamland yeah. because of this. It fascinates me to hear the reactions of people who who know an author, and in my case, people who know me uh, when they when they read my book. And there's some of them who say, "Oh, as soon as I sit down, I hear your voice in my head the whole time." And I've, I've been in a, in a group setting where somebody said that and somebody else goes, oh no, I don't hear his voice at all. I, you know, um, but but it, it's interesting how those, even, even people who are reading it on the page, I think are many times they're hearing some voice. It may not be the author's voice, oh, yeah. but, it, but it may be. Um, have you ever had specific texts that you found particularly challenging or, or books where you just said, I don't really think I'm the right reader for this book? Uh, not yet. Not yet. I mean, again, I'm not saying that to sound, you know, to be egotistical by any means, far from it. But I think that um, the publishers that I work with, fortunately, uh, know my work. And so when they bring books to me, that which is usually the way it works, a publisher yeah. will come to right. me and say, hey, Mike, we have a title we'd like you to a either audition for or you've already approved. Will you, yeah. would you, do you have time in your schedule to record this? Mm -hmm. So I'm relying on their expertise because they know my work. They know what I sound like. And they're coming to me saying, I have a book that I think you'd be a good fit for. So that, that helps it. When I'm in a situation early on in my career where I had to actually go audition for books. And occasionally I still will on, on sites like acx.com where you can go and set up a site and audition for work then absolutely, I would go in and some of these books would come up and I would look at them and I'm like, you know, I'm not really suited for that. Either I'm not comfortable with the, with the content itself, uh, I'm not comfortable with the genre, or when I read it, I kind of know that there's probably somebody out there who's better than me who would be able to carry that book better than I could. So yeah, yeah definitely. But now at this point in my career, those choices are almost being made for me. Sure. Um, yeah. Which, which in some respects is great, um, but in other respects, oftentimes there are other work that you might want to get, but 
the publishers you're working with have certain idea in mind in terms of what they want you to do. Mm-hmm. So they're just like any actor. You you don't you're, you don't necessarily want to get typecast into a particular category or genre, but it sometimes happens. So yeah. so uh, so the, the, those are some of the downsides of having publishers bring work to you is that yeah. the variety may not be as as broad as you might want it to be. I mean, I thought it's fun and very interesting to hear you say that because in a way I have felt the same way about writing novels. I didn't want to just write the same kind of novel over and over and over again. Um, but that's meant sometimes uh, finding finding a publisher who wants the new novel because it's not the same thing that you did last time and and that's what the old publisher wants, you know. Uh, so so the ne- yeah. like the, the next one is very different. Escaping Dreamland for me was more of a, a character piece, a little bit less plot driven than some of my previous books. Um, my next book is, is just a flat out thriller. It's a, it's, it's plot, you know, scary stuff happening on every page. So it's, to me, it's, I, I like to do a variety of things and it's, and I'm sure as a reader, it's, you know, it's the same way. I have, um, a, I have a thriller fiction book that's coming up on my, on my schedule in, in a couple of weeks that I'm really looking forward to. So that yeah, yeah. that's going to be a lot of fun. And th- yeah. those books are, are, just uh, a whole different direction, as you said, but but equally as fun. Yeah, and there's, and I think that's another place where rhythm and pacing plays such an important role because you've got, you know, you have these very intense scenes, and then you need to have sort of a, a little bit of space for the reader to breathe before you kind of go right into the next place where everybody's in deathly peril or whatever. <laughs> exactly. But as an actor, that's what you live for. Yeah, is to have yeah. that variety. It's so much fun. So things are a little bit different at the moment, but generally speaking, in the writing world, I, I get to meet my colleagues and create community at, at book festivals and literary events. And uh, a lot of times I'm doing these podcasts face-to-face because authors are coming to town. Um, is there that type of community um, amongst audiobook readers? Do you have the chance to sort of network and interact with with your colleagues? Yes, absolutely. There. Um... There are very active social media groups on on Facebook in particular, where us audiobook narrators get to get together and commiserate about things, and <laughs> um, it, it's 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 a lot of fun. And there are also conferences. Unfor- unfortunately, because of obviously because of the pandemic, we haven't been able to do that. Yeah. But um, APAC, the the Audiobook Publishers Association, has a conference every year, which brings together narrators and engineers and producers and authors all together in New York City. And that is an amazing experience because you not only get to interact with your colleagues who you don't necessarily see face to face any other time of the year, but you also get a chance to interact with people who potentially will hire you, which is, which is, so it's a combination of camaraderie and networking, which they do a beautiful job of creating that environment where it happens. And it's not a, it's not a, uh, a spammy salesman-y kind of a, an environment at all. It's an environment where people come together and producers want to meet new talent, new talent want to meet producers and we want to meet each other as colleagues. So I think in any creative endeavor, writing, audiobook narration, you know, painting, singing, any, I think we creatives need to be together. Yeah, we I need agree. To, com- yeah. to commiserate. We need to yeah. talk about what it is we're doing. Um, it's almost like breathing for us, right? We, we need that connection. So it's been a little different, a little more of a challenge, obviously in today's day and age, but, but uh, I have managed, especially with my podcast like you, to be able to connect with a lot of people on a regular basis, which yeah. has been wonderful. 
I mean, I think that's, that's important for people to understand. So many people go to work in a building. I mean, I know a lot of people are working from home right now, but in, in typical circumstances, people go to work in a building where other people who have the same career are in that same building. You know, they see them in the elevator and at the water fountain and in the lunchroom. And as writers, and, and it's the way you describe your career, we don't, we don't do that. We sit in a room by ourselves. Um, you know, the highlight of my year is always the, our, our local literary festival, the Bookmarks Festival. And we have, we invite all the writers to our house for dinner after the festival. And every year the festival organizers say, are you sure you want to do all that work? I'm like, that's my time yes. to see my colleagues. You know? yes, so, yes. so it's, it's great. fun. It's, it's a party. It's a, it's a gathering. It, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. Well, as you know, because we talked about this a little bit before, we like to end every episode of inside the writer studio with the same 10 questions, but, but today we might have to sort of adapt these questions somewhat because because <laughs> um, I'm talking to you primarily as, as a book narrator, um, but hopefully we'll be able to get through the list and you can answer sure. each of them in, in just a few words. Uh, so what word do you love to encounter in a book that you're recording? Uh, it, it's, a, a word is tough, but... Um, yeah you know, probably, uh, persistence. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm more, I'm more interested in, I like to encounter emotions, you know, yeah. a certain emotion yeah. that, that yeah. brings, brings something to life in my heart. And that, that really is a wonderful experience when I get to do that. What word do you hate to encounter? Well, just from a pronunciation perspective, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's hard for me to even say it. Statistics oh, is not yeah. my favorite yes. word, Charlie. Yes. Never has been, never will be. Uh, where's your favorite, usually I ask, where's your favorite place to write, but I'm going to ask, where's your favorite place to read when you're, when you're getting ready to, to record? Yeah, I will, when, when the weather's nice, it's absolutely out on, on our porch, oh, um, nice. and enjoying that, the, the beautiful, the beautiful sunshine and the air and the, and the, and the, we have backyard chickens. So listen to our chickens outside. Uh, that's where I love to prep books for yeah. sure. Where could you never do that work? Um, not in a coffee house, not, not in a crowded group of people. I need to be focused. Okay. What rule of grammar, when you see writers breaking it, causes you the least angst? Parenthetical, because mm -hmm. I think so, oftentimes that actually is helpful to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, what's the first book you remember reading? Uh, I think it was The Hobbit. Mm. What are you reading now? Uh, I'm actually, right now, I, I'm not... I have kind of transitioned over into the world of, of audiobooks. So, um, well, that counts as reading. The, <laughs> yeah, that is technically, technically reading the, um, I just finished this great book, uh, escaping dreamland, but I narrated it <laughs> myself. Um, and I had read, uh, beautiful ruins, which was wonderful by, um, Eduardo Ballerini. He had narrated that and, uh, I absolutely love that book. I just finished listening to that. Um, and the um, Where the Crawdads Sing, I just finished oh, yeah. that uh, mm -hmm. recently. Uh, it took me a while to kind of come around to that, but uh, that was a great book as well. It's going to be a movie too. Yeah. Now, the, the next pair of questions were the ones I had the hardest time ad adapting for somebody who records audiobooks. So I'm just going to ask you them as written and pretend that you're a writer and imagine that if you were a writer, how would you answer these questions? And I know you have actually written a book about, about voiceover work, so you've done have, some writing. Yes, um, what book would you love to have written? 
Um, a Gentleman in Moscow by Amor oh, Tolls. I finally got to read that recently. I loved it. What sort of book would you like to write, but probably never will? Um, probably a similar uh, Amor Tolls, uh, the book prior to that, mm -hmm. uh, Rules of Civility was a, was a great book. And, and if you haven't, uh, have you read Rules of Civility? I haven't read that one yet. No. Uh, 1937, New York City. Yeah. That's one of the things I loved about your book was uh, I'm, an, I'm a fan of New York City. So yeah. uh, being able to write a book that brought in that historical perspective would be would be pretty amazing. Yeah. And finally, what would you like to hear a listener tell you? Hmm. Well, I one of the one of the um, the nicest comments I've gotten from a from a listener actually came from your book actually. And they said the yeah. narrator's smooth voice told the story perfectly. So that, I mean, as a narrator, it doesn't get much better than that. Yeah, that's great. This has been Inside the Writer's Studio. I'm your host, Charlie Lovett. And the podcast is sponsored by Bookmarks, a literary nonprofit that runs the largest annual book festival in the Carolinas and operates a community gathering place and nonprofit independent bookstore in downtown Winston-Salem, North Carolina. To find out more about Bookmarks and all its programs, visit www.bookmarksnc.org. My guest today has been Mike Lenz, an audiobook narrator whose work can be heard on the audiobook of my novel, Escaping Dreamland. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Charlie. Inside the Writer's Studio is proud to be affiliated with Libro FM. Unlike other audiobook platforms, Libro FM supports your local independent bookstore. Whether you buy a single book or like me, a monthly subscription, you can link your account to your local store or to Bookmarks to support literary community. For a special two-for-one offer, go to Libro.fm and use the discount code WRITERS. If you've enjoyed Inside the Writer's Studio, please consider leaving a rating or review online at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside the Writer's Studio posts new episodes on the 1st and 15th of every month. On our next episode, I'll be talking to international bestseller Alexander McCall Smith, about the latest installment of the number one ladies detective agency series. Until then, thanks for listening. And may you read with wonder and write with passion.